As I mentioned, I'm Father Thomas from St. Patrick's in downtown Columbus. The, um, my being here is actually, it's not just pinch hit for Father Sylvester. Dominicans have done that a lot over the last couple of years. It, we enjoy coming here. You've got a great parish. It's, this is the second time that we've operated a ministry called the St. Barnabas Ministry. And it's a Dominican thing. Dominican we've started. We're going to try to take across the country. It's where one of us goes to a diocesan priest and says, basically, leave, get out. We take, we're going to take over your parish for about a week or two weeks or three weeks. For Father Sylvester, it's about a little, it's pushing a month. So I'll be here until the end of a month, uh, two full weeks. The, um, it lets them rest, recreate, get in their retreat, things like that. Okay? And for us, it's itinerant preaching. And we thrive on that. That's not work. That's joy for us. So it's kind of a win-win. You have priests. I know at least three priests in this diocese who have had no vacation longer than three or four days for about the last three years. They um, serve churches that are one-third and one-half full. And um, it's, that's a recipe for burnout. So this will help stop some of the burnout that, that currently we see. Uh, in Father Sylvester, you have one of the workhorses of the diocese. He's amazing. After five masses on a Sunday, that's just amazing, unheard of. I came back in the early fall. I went to the Camino of Santiago, that trek across northern Spain. You can see it in the movie The Way with Martin Sheen. Uh, did with side trips almost 550 miles. And... I went to probably, in the 60 days I was there, I saw probably 40 churches. I never saw, there was no babies. I never heard a baby for 60 days. There were no babies. There were no grade school children. If you go here to St. Mary's, there's no one your age at church over in Spain. And I was in big cities, okay? Um, I didn't see anybody except, and no one under 50. Maybe a couple of your zealots, but there's no one under 50, no high school, no college students. That's what's going on in a secular society. When you see the average age here, this is something awesome happening. There's something that God's doing, and as your prayer for your parish said, it's because you are doing something that this is happening like this. Uh, the masses today were all full, and with a bunch of little screaming bambinos, by the end of the homily, they'll be screaming. The, um, it's music to our ears. Most of them in baby language are saying, preach, Father, preach longer. But we can't. We can't. Okay. The, um, what's going on with the baptism of the Lord? We have this thing where Jesus comes to John, and John is preaching a baptism of repentance, and Jesus steps up. So is Jesus saying he is a pet, needs penance and repentance and he's a sinner? No, that's not what's going on. Rather, you have the action of a good teacher here. A good teacher will not just speak what needs to be done, but if they can, they'll demonstrate it. They'll demonstrate it. And so I had a chemistry professor, and the professor would go up and in the intro chemistry class, he would start doing chemicals and start saying, now what's going to happen if I put this in here? That was a test once. We had to write it on the piece of paper. He knew what was going to happen. He'd done it a million times. He could do it blindfolded. But he wanted us to know, and he was showing us proper methods and demonstrating right before us what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. 
That's what's going on with Jesus today. When he steps up for baptism, it's not like he doesn't know who he is. He's the second person of the Trinity. He always had the beatific vision of the Father. He always had that, even through Good Friday. He knew who he was immediately because he, his Mary would have told him, right, in his human knowledge. And so, when he steps up, he's demonstrating for us that baptism is going to be important for us. And he will do the same with all the other seven sacraments. He gives us baptism today. We see it at this moment. And just like what happened to him and what was said when he was there, this is a key of what happens to us in baptism. The heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on a dove. The Spirit of God comes into our life when we are baptized. It's going to be fold and matured by the time confirmation comes around, we hope. But the Spirit of God comes into our life at baptism. And we are adopted. This is my beloved son. Or for us, this is my beloved son. Or this is my beloved daughter. God were to speak at that moment, in whom I am well pleased. And so God is pleased with us because of baptism does. Wiping away the debt of sin, making us into the image of his son and daughter in the son that is Jesus. For Catholics, it's extremely important, baptism. It's amazingly important, and we overlook it because if you can do it to a kid, how important is it? You know, that's what we think. That's an error. Rather, what does baptism do for us? What actually does it do? There's a number of things beyond the three that you can see so easily in Scripture. We believe that baptism is where we are born into spiritual life. We're born into spiritual life. We were born physically, what a great moment, and we had certain capacities and powers. But when you go through baptism, you have new powers. You have new faculties, new abilities in your soul are given to you. It's as if you were born again. And so baptism has always been for Catholics a born again experience. Because you come out of it with new powers, as if you were born again with the original powers. But now we have new ones. We can relate to a divine, omnipotent, spiritual being. I have a tough time relating to the guys I live with. You know, I live with a bunch of Dominicans. I have a tough time relating to them. But through this, we can relate and relate well to God Almighty. That begins in baptism. We know that all the virtues are given. The three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. So we're able to relate to God. Those are a beginning of divine life in us. Also, the four moral virtues are given. The infused moral virtues. Prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. They're given to us so we can act prudent, justly, temperate, and with fortitude, courage, towards God. They're oriented on the vertical. And baptism gives that to persons. By baptism, we are transferred to the kingdom. We become members of his body, sharing in the ministry of Jesus, priest, prophet, and king. So you are worshipers. Do it well. That little prayer you say when you join in at Mass, you're representing your friends, maybe your street, maybe your relative, someone who's not here, your friends or your co-workers, your schools, your jobs. You represent that. Do it well. Do it well in the sacred priesthood. Priest, prophetic. We live a prophetic life when you have to use words. Otherwise, you have a prophetic life. And reign, to reign in the kingdom is to serve, so serve well. 
We know that the Spirit indwells us and we become a temple. And where the Spirit is, there is the love of God the Father and the Son. And He puts you wherever you can do the most good for the kingdom. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, sealed with an indelible mark through baptism. What is this? There's a lot of different images. The latest one, and it's original, don't repeat it to the bishop, is God takes a divine mark, uh, Sharpie marker and writes on your forehead, mine. I'm not sure how the bishop would do with that example, but that's the seal. It's an indelible mark right there saying mine. And so no matter what you do, you are the Lord's. If he didn't care about you, even if you sinned something seriously, he, he would say, get out of here, you're it. That's it, I've had enough, like we can do. He never does that. What does God do even when we sin seriously? He says, it's through our conscience. Oh, we gotta talk about that. I want a meeting with you as soon as you can. I want a meeting. Now he wouldn't do that if he didn't love us, right? But he says, because you are my son and daughter, you are mine. You got to get rid of that thing. And there's a little room at the church, it's in that corner here, where you can get rid of it. It's called confession. And because he loves us, he gave, gave, gave that to us. Sealed. Lastly, it's so important, this gift called baptism. Okay, this gift called baptism. What cracks me up about your church is one thing is, in some churches, when a little bambino starts acting out, you know, um, they just sit there. We don't mind them. That's why I have a mic. I can outshout any baby here. But um, the um, uh, a mother in one of our parishes once got up to take her youngster out, and the father, a Dominican, said, "We verified it happened." He said, "Oh no, please don't go. Your baby's not bugging me because they really don't." Unless they start channeling something from the Costa Rican rainforest, like a or something off Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, take them for a walk. Otherwise, they're just little little baby bambino humans. They're okay. Well, the father said, the priest said, don't take that youngster, it's not bugging me. And the mother turned around with the wisdom of Solomon, said, oh, that's true, father, but you're driving her crazy. So, um, they're also homilometers, and they tell us, if you're paying attention, they tell us, pick it up, Padre. And so, little bambino, brother or sister, I'm picking it up. And so, baptism, it's a free gift. That's why we baptize infants. It's a free gift, you don't have to earn it. I have a good friend, Pastor Green, in Green County, and he will not allow someone to come become a member of the church unless they're illiterate and able to receive the book. He says, unless you can't read the book, you can't be a member of my church. Well, I don't find that in the Bible. Literacy is not a requirement, even before you come to Jesus. It helps, but it's not a requirement. And so for us, baptism and all that it gives is a free gift, like our salvation, right? It's a free gift, like grace. It's not earned, this thing. It's not a prize. It's a gift from God that you can just receive, period. That's it. And then live it. It's kind of like a foundation to build a life on. Some people won't build on it, but if you, if you have it, with the power of the Spirit, you can build an awesome life, a fantastic, palatial mansion you can build for your soul. That's the beauty of baptism. Now, I do have a friend up in Cleveland, a good friend of mine, and, um, and we go after it once in a while. Maybe he'll come around eventually. But he says this. I wonder if you've ever heard this. I'm not going to baptize my kids because I want them to decide for themselves. Ever hear that? 
I'm going to let them decide for themselves so I won't do this. Thinks the Catholic Church is being kind of mean by making this happen. And so I was thinking of it. I'll call him Sam. Sam, um, it sounds so magnanimous, doesn't it? I'm going to let them decide for themselves. It sounds so generous and respectful towards the youngster. You know, I won't wait. They'll, I'll let them get it themselves. But is it? I was trying to figure that out with Sam. And I said, hey, so you're going to do the same with hygiene? You know, when to take a shower, when to change your clothes, when to wipe dirt off your face. Are you going to let them decide for themselves regarding hygiene? Oh no, they're going to be clean kids. He's going to force them to clean up. And I said, how about tooth care? You know, how about that whole dental thing? Are you going to let them decide for themselves? You know, if they're going to have teeth at their first job interview? You know, are you just going to let them decide for themselves? Say, come on, are you consistent here? Oh no, he's going to force them to brush their teeth. He wants them to to have good teeth for their first interview and be able to get dates when they get into whenever you start dating. I said, are you going to have them choose when they go to school? Or are you going to force that upon them? Or are you going to choose that they're going to go to school? At least up through the first 12, maybe more. And he said, oh, they're going to go to school. That's not an option. they got to go. And I said, well, how about bedtime? How about what he eats? How about running in the streets in, in traffic? playing games in the middle of an intersection. You're going to let them choose that, just saying? Oh no, they're going to do what I tell them. I'm like, well then how about other things like favorite color? Oh, they can choose that. Favorite ice cream? Oh, let them choose. How can you choose that for them? Let them choose themselves. You see what he's done? He's already made the decision for his kids. He has four of them. I think the oldest is six or seven. He's already made the decision that your response to God is on the level of non-important things. Favorite color, favorite ice cream, eh, that'll change someday. They're not important. And he says your response to God, his children's response to God, it's been his response to God, is not that important. It's of the seriousness of, of favorite ice cream, favorite TV show. But it's not like getting to school and hygiene and brushing your teeth. I mean, that stuff is important. And for him, religion isn't there. So after 18, 20, 25 years of living in that type of environment, is he really kidding us that he expects them to be able to choose freely? No, it's a delusion. It's a big lie that's been thrown upon him, and he's duped like a dupe he's bought into. This big lie, this, this modern heresy, that we'll let them do whatever they want, and when they get older, they'll choose the narrower path. No, they won't. So I said, Sam, why don't you just man up and say, religion isn't important in my family, and I will not have it in my family. Instead of this false generosity towards your kids, it's not generosity, it's a deprivation. It's like not treating them and giving them a good education. They will have no foundation whether they choose it or not. And that's not easy in our society. That's not easy. And so for Catholics, Baptism doesn't force anything. There's entire generations out there. The baby boomers is one of them. I'm a late baby boomer. The whole lot of them were baptized by their kids, and the vast majority have left. They've left. It's the lost generation, and it's trickling down. And they were all baptized. So baptism doesn't force it. Okay? Remember that when you step up the bat to get your youngsters baptized. Rather, baptism gives you a fantastic foundation, a foundation from which you can grow more in the Lord. If you know people who are not baptized, give them that. 
and they can build on it. It's really the question of friendship. If you were, if you were to say, this is what Aquinas says, the operative word for Catholicism is friendship. And through baptism and all the sacraments, we grow in friendship with God. He wants to be our friend. And he gives us these moments like baptism and Eucharist and sacraments that we can do it. Baptism, Catholics believe, is always helpful. It's never a detriment to the soul. So how do you grow more in your baptism? To wind this up as the little homilometers are getting antsy. How do you wind up, you up, uh, grow more in appreciation from your baptism? The first way, it's, I'd say, celebrate the day of your baptism. Find out when your baptism is and celebrate it. There's a lot of feast days in the church that we don't celebrate. Every, every first time you receive the sacrament, on that day, you gotta have ice cream. And so on the day of your baptism, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, at the first, you want to be different. Ice cream on pie, ice cream on cake, and then the whole half gallon. Okay? And you do that on your baptismal day. Because look what God did in your soul. So gentle, like that first reading. You know, it talks about gentility. It's so gentle. You can have it happen to a baby. It's not like the Russians. You know, over in Russia, one of the Russian churches, they go out in February, they go out to a lake and cut a cross in the lake, right through the ice. It's about three feet deep, two feet wide, right into the water, and they get their little bambinos, and that's the water they baptize them in. Now that's really tough, okay? It's their way of saying, welcome to religion in Russia, okay? It's really tough over there. They came up with that, with that during the Soviet era. The, um, we use at least room temperature water, so, it's gentle in order to have people start gently in building the foundation for the faith. So if you know someone that um, has your bambinos, kids, and they're not baptized, urge them. Urge them. Offer to help pay for the celebration after the baptism. And then celebrate that every day, every year. Celebrate that date. Mine is November 22nd. Now, if you don't know that date of your baptism, it's written down at the church at which you were baptized. We're a record-keeping church. It's written there, I guarantee it. Um, if you don't know it, if you don't want to do that work, just pick a day a, a month later, and every year have that as your the celebration of your baptism. You know it happened. If you don't line up perfectly, that's okay. That lining up perfectly has to do with birthdays and wedding anniversaries. It's got to do that, but not with... Uh, or you'll be in trouble. Um, uh, it doesn't have to do with baptism. A month later-ish is okay. But celebrate it every year. The second way is that friendship theme. Start out each day saying something along the lines of, Today, Lord, let's, you and I, grow more in our friendship together. Offer God, hey, let's grow more in friendship together as you're walking out the door. And watch what happens. If you open up your life to the creator of the universe to grow in friendship, everything that friendship does, we have with the Lord. Watch, it's going to be awesome, okay? That'll be an awesome day. So start out your day like that. Lastly, help someone else come to friendship with God by joining a universal ministry in the Catholic Church. It's called the Invite Ministry. The Invitation Ministry is where you give invites. Whenever you see empty pews, and there, you got a few here, like we all do in every church. That means someone has to invite, and it means it's you that has to invite. Figure out someone who might like this atmosphere, 
and give the invitation, okay? Give the invitation. Why don't you come with us? We'll pick you up. Maybe afterwards we'll go out, get a bite to eat, and talk over what we liked about the homily or something. Look in your bulletin. There are events going on at your church and around the diocese, around this area. Fun events, food events, study events like Bible studies, prayer events like adoration, mass, of course, and service events. You have Knights of Columbus and St. Vincent de Paul, two service organizations. Consider if that person would, would get something out of being invited to one of those. If you don't know, don't start with the most spiritual, which is probably adoration or the mass. Invite them to help move someone out of their house. Invite them to one of the KFC or uh, St. Vincent de Paul ministries to get served, to get their hands working for something that's good. And something may happen. That may be the very invitation they need to take the next step and the next step to friendship with God. The Lord Jesus has changed our lives even before we could remember he did it in our baptism. This week and this year, let's grow in greater appreciation for what he has done. And let's ask the Lord to help us grow in our friendship with him throughout this awesome year.